At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Yeah, yeah, I know it's the middle of the summer when you see the title of this podcast, Boiler Basics, Troubleshooting and Maintenance. Well, listen, HVAC is... You know, people work on boilers in the middle of the summer too, in some places if their process could be, right? But anyway, the education flows regardless. And and I know we did steam, we did process steam, then we did a boiler design podcast, and now we're doing basic boiler basics, troubleshooting and maintenance with Tony First from Armstrong Fluid Technologies. This dude is a wealth of knowledge. That's why he's been on the podcast many a times because he just knows a lot about a lot and he's a great guy to talk to. And he's going to bring the fire here. And, and we're going to talk about closer to the, the second half of the podcast, maybe. We're going to talk about pressure vessels and how they can blow up and why checking relief valves and and low water cutoffs and things like that is super necessary for a boiler because we can create basically a bomb. So anyway, guys, listen up, pay attention. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and I just did a little demo video of the Reed Tools IPEX tubing cutter, like the 636 stuff, and the deburring and chamfering tool. Now, listen, back in the day, I'll admit it, when I was doing some side jobs and stuff, I would cut the 636 with a hacksaw. But it looks terrible because you can never get a straight cut. There's all kinds of burrs on the end. If you use the proper pipe cutter for that stuff and then deburr and chamfer it, it is a sweet looking end of a pipe i'm telling you right now it fits better it will glue better it'll just be an overall better performing uh, venting system so check those out they're from the master group they are reed tools the cutting tool and the chamfering and deburring tool check out master.ca as well this podcast is sponsored by cintas cintas is an almost century old company that have been providing services for many many years to blue collar industries and one of the the services they provide is uniforms. I've talked about it already on the podcast a few times. The Comfort Flex Pro brand that is very stretchy. It can You can go down a couple pant sizes from, from what I heard. I've got samples. It's breathable. It's stretchy. It moves with you, not against you. And if you, if you guys are in the market for, for uniforms for your team, for your techs out there in the field, check Cintas out. There's a landing page for you guys to check out. It is... C, not S, C I N T A S dot com forward slash HVAC Know It All. Welcome to the HVAC Know It All podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Well, Tony, you're back. And as I said to you, I, I wish I hit record on our previous conversation before we, we get into it. But maybe, like you said, um, sometime in the next little while, we can have this really cool conversation. And I'm not going to tell everybody what it was. I'll, we'll just put everybody on edge and go, what? 
what are these guys talking about here? Yeah, that would be fun. I, I, I look forward to that. Um, cool. We've done a few of these, and every one we do is always fun. Um, yeah, and today we're, we're doing boiler troubleshooting. Now, there's lots of kinds of there, there's lots of different kinds of boilers out there. Lots. There's wall hung. There's like atmospheric. There's power vented. Like, what are you what are you thinking? Where we start here? Well, let's kind of start with some real simple stuff and talk about what you got to look at for a boiler in general. Okay, regardless of the boiler type, there's some really simple things that you need to do daily, weekly, monthly, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's also some things that are really important at the front end side. Okay. So okay. first and foremost, and I don't care what kind of boiler you got. Um, and I don't care uh, in, in this particular case, it doesn't make any difference whether it's steam or hot water. Um, but we're going to concentrate on hot water tonight because uh, that's the more common boiler that's out on the market. So when we look at hot water boilers, we're circulating water around a building, and sometimes that water's circulating in copper, sometimes it's circulating in steel, sometimes it's circulating in PEX tubing. Well, the problem with water is water's got dissolved rocks in it. Okay, it's got minerals mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And so when we heat water up, a couple things want to happen. One, those dissolved minerals want to drop out of the water. And we also want to get rid of the free air in the water. So the first thing we got to be concerned with is, is those dissolved minerals. And so boiler water treatment is really critical having something in there that prevents scale and corrosion. And, you know, a lot of guys look at residential boilers and go, eh, I don't need to worry about it. It's a residential boiler system. Well, guess what? The boiler water doesn't know whether it's a house or a commercial office building. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you got to treat the water yeah. and you don't need to, you don't need a, PhD in chemistry to be a boiler water treatment guy. Um, there are enough off-the-shelf products on the market today that you can add to any boiler system to prevent scale and corrosion. Um, I can't remember for the life of me the different names, but I know Calgon and some of the rest of them all make some off-the-shelf chemicals for boiler water treatment. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And it's not difficult to figure out how much water is in the system and how much chemical you have to add. And it's an annual thing. So you treat the water every year. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, and you know, we talk about water, and we got to get the air out of the system. Now, if the boiler system is installed correctly, it's got some type of an air scoop on it. Um, or some type of a vortex air separator, or maybe it's a better system and it has a combination air and dirt separator on it. And that device is there um, to get the air and the dirt out of the system. 
So there's an air vent on top of it, or there's supposed to be. Make sure the air vent actually works. Uh, you wouldn't believe the number of them that I walk into boiler rooms and the air vents failed. And it's plugged up with sludge and it won't vent any air out of the system at all. So make sure it works. Cause so let, let me stop you there for a minute. How do you okay. know if it's working correctly? So the easiest way to do it is inject a little bit of air upstream of the air separator. Okay. And... You know, as it travels to the air separator, make sure the air vent actually lets the air out of the system. Um, you could do that by draining some water out, let it pull a little bit of air in, see if it releases it out. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, you can also take the air separator, valve it off, take it out, you know, take the air vent out of the system and make sure it's not plugged up with sludge. Mm -hmm. um, you can tell real quick when you shake them if there's a bunch of crud in it, uh, depending on the size, uh, some of them you actually take apart and check the float and make sure the float still works, not full of water and all that stuff. Um, so if it's full of water, it won't lift because the whole idea is, is it, it just sits there. Um, it gets clogged up with the sludge and everything else. Mm -hmm. So um, in speaking of combination air and dirt separators and you know, Armstrong makes them uh, for bigger commercial systems. Um, there are other manufacturers that make them for uh, smaller systems. Khalifi makes them and a few others. Um, that device has to be taken apart periodically and cleaned. There's coalescing elements that coalesce, the, the dirt coalesces on the elements. And you got to either open the blowdown valve or take the bottom of it off pull the coalescing elements out and hose them off because they will get crudded up. Mm -hmm. um, and that needs to be done on an annual basis so that you keep the thing operating correctly. So, you know, we've kind of, you know, you, you've got that whole issue. So out in the system, depending on the system, you may have radiator air vents. You may have automatic air vents. They may be manual. Um, Check them. Make sure they're working. Make sure that you can vent air out of them or that they operate. If they're manual type, they're, you know, key type radiator vents, make sure they open and close. Um, there's nothing worse than having an air vent that won't work because then it doesn't do you any good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are kind of some of the basics when it comes to the water side of the system. Let me ask you this, because you mentioned chemical, you mentioned air separation. What about filtration? So, depending on your boiler system, um, and this is really, really critical if you have wet rotor pumps. So, we make pumps uh, in two flavors. We make dry rotor pumps, and in a dry rotor pump, the motor is outside the pump housing, and it's outside the water stream. Wet rotor pumps is in a special little can, kind of looks like a coffee can, inside the motor housing, and the system water surrounds that can. Well, in a wet rotor pump, um, you can get dirt buildup in there. And if you get dirt buildup in there, it can cause the pump to quit working. So in a lot of those systems, um, and especially newer wet rotor pumps that are permanent magnet motors, they act like a giant magnet. And so in a lot of those systems, you want to put some type of filtration in. Um, dirt Mag is one of them. Khalifi has one. There's several of them on the market. Um, that have a magnet in them 
Uh, and you can also get a combination air and dirt separator that has magnets in it. But that's there to trap all of the uh, iron oxide or, or magnetite in the system so that it doesn't get caught up in your pumps. With permanent magnet wet rotor pumps, it's really, really critical that you have some type of magnetic filtration on the system. Mm -hmm. um, dry rotor pumps don't have that problem, but you still want to have a magnetic filter on there just to help get the crap out of the system, mm -hmm. especially about, if it's steel pipe. What about strainers? Um, strainers is another one. You want to check your strainers every year. Pull them out. Uh, I know guys hate pulling them out, uh, especially large strainers, uh, but pull them out and clean them. You know, yeah. Don't rely on just opening the blowdown valve. Because you can open the blowdown valve and you can clear a column down through the, the it, down through the muck that's in the filter, and you'll never get the filter actually clean. So you want to make sure you pull the strainer all the way out, take the cover off, pull the strainer out, hose it out. Um, and when we look at the water side, do you know there's a strainer in the makeup water valve? A strainer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah. Yeah. So. Make sure you you know valve it off and pull the strainer out of the makeup water valve, because if it gets plugged up and you develop a leak in the system, guess what? You're not going to get any makeup water. Mm -hmm. You, you want to know a funny story about makeup water? Uh, I'll I'll take you off track for a minute. And okay. I thought this I thought this was hilarious because this is going back oh man like 15 years ago probably in in that range. Or maybe even a bit longer, maybe even 16, 17 years ago. So when I first started with the company that I was with for a very long time, the owner at that time, he was a real hard-nosed guy, like really, really, um, he knew his stuff, very smart, but very hard-nosed. And um, there was a problem with this boiler system. It kept, the pressure kept increasing and they'd have to drain water. And next day it was increasing and nobody could figure out what the hell was wrong and my boss went down there he pulled the the, the expansion tank out and he thought there was something clogging it so he took like a big <laughs> big piece of pipe and shoved it down there and, and bashed it in and he like basically destroyed i'm like i didn't know what he was up to i, I thought maybe like it wasn't expanding in there and that's why the pressure mm -hmm. was rising but after he did that it happened again and i went down there and i'm like and i don't know why i thought of this i'm like what if we just turn the water off, like just to try it? And overnight, it, it did not increase. Overnight, the pressure did not increase. The next night, it did not increase. I'm like, that friggin' valve is is bypassing internally. That's what's. That's why from the city water side, the makeup fill valve was bypassing internally, raising the pressure of of the system. And um, and I was just giggling because <laughs> the owner of the company at that time, he was bashing out the the expansion tank, and all he had to do was shut off a valve. <laughs> And yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I just when you when you when you brought up makeup water, I just thought of that. Well, and you just brought up a really good point. You talked about the expansion tank, and you know everybody kind of forgets about the expansion tank. It's this big round thing that sits on the floor. Maybe it's hanging from the ceiling, and you know most most jobs today we've kind of gotten away from the old style compression tanks that were, you know, just a big tank with nothing with just air and water in them. Um, because we've gone to either bladder tanks or diaphragm tanks because one, they're smaller Two, they're, you can set them on the floor. You don't have to hang them from the ceiling. You don't have to have them at the high point in the system, a uh, whole lot of reasons to have them. Well, <clears throat> when we look at expansion tanks, 
it's really, it, it's one of those things that guys walk past them and they just kind of go, eh, it's an expansion tank. I don't have to worry about it. And nobody checks them. Mm-hmm. And a few years down the road, the bladder fails or the diaphragm fails. And all of a sudden you get into that situation where the boiler fires, system pressure rises, and maybe it lifts the relief valve, maybe it doesn't. But then as soon as the boiler quits firing, system pressure kind of creeps back down again. Next time the boiler fires, system pressure rises again. You know, Because as you're heating the water up, if the expansion tank's bad, there's no place for the water to expand. It just mm-hmm. can't go anywhere because yeah. it's flooded that entire tank. The tanks become waterlogged. So expansion tanks, the way they're supposed to be piped in, is between the system and the tank, there should be a valve to isolate the tank off. And between that valve and the tank connection, there should be a T with a boiler drain on it. Okay, that I can close off the valve to the expansion tank. I can hook a hose up to the boiler drain. I can open the boiler drain up and let whatever water's in the tank out. And then there should be an air charging valve somewhere on the tank. It's like a you know Schrader valve mm-hmm, yep. uh, for a tire, and check the air pressure in the tank. Now, if you check it and you get sprayed in the face with water, guess what? You get a bad diaphragm mm-hmm. or a bad bladder. Yeah. Um, but the pressure in that tank should be equal to whatever your cold fill pressure is on your system. So, you know, if it's a typical house, it's a you know one or two story house. The system pressure is probably somewhere around 12 to 15 PSI. And so that's what the air charge is. Whatever that cold fill pressure is, that's what the air charge in the tank should be. But you got to do it with that valve for the drain open to the atmosphere. Yes. Um, then, you you know, once you got the air charge right, you close the valve, you open the valve back up to the system, and you're good to go. Um you know, I've watched guys try to check the air charge in the tank while it's still connected and open to the system. And I'm going, that doesn't tell you anything. It tells you that the pressure in the tank is the same as the pressure in the system. And it's surprising the number of guys that don't understand what that tank's supposed to do. That when the system is at static, there's really no water in that tank. This tank is just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And until the system starts to heat up, do you get any water in there? System cools back down, the water comes out of the tank and goes back into the system where it belongs. Um, the other thing is, and I've seen guys do this on installation, is they put the tank on the wrong side of the pump. So it's on the discharge side of the pump instead of the suction side of the pump. Well, that tank is known as the point of no pressure change. And so we want it there so that that's the place where as the water heats up and expands and contracts, it doesn't change the characteristics of the pump. Well, if I put that tank on the discharge side of the pump, whatever the pump head is that it's designed to operate at, some of that head energy that the pump imparts to the water gets absorbed into the tank. Mm-hmm. And we waste yep. pump head and pump energy charged in the tank. Mm-hmm. So makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. Um, it, it, it's, it's funny the, the number of things, you know, it's the little things that will manage to get your system 
thoroughly foobard. Can I can I ask you this? Uh, you said sure. the 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 tank pressure should match the the, the cold water fill. Uh, I've heard people say that, but then also say like just add on like three or four psi as well on top of that. Nope. No. Nope. Okay. Don't need to add anything to it. All right. Well, why? What's the what's the argument for then? Do you know? So, the tank is there to maintain the system in a static in that static whatever that static pressure is supposed to be. So, if I make the tank pressure higher, I'm actually decreasing the acceptance volume of the tank. Because now, as that water starts to expand, it can't over, overcome the pressure in the tank. So I'm mm -hmm. losing acceptance volume of the tank. I'm losing yeah. tank capacity by doing that's, that. That's, that's, that makes sense bang on yeah. uh, as to why you would do that. Okay, cool. All right, mo moving on. So you were going to get to a point before I interrupted you there. What, what was it? So... You know, once we've once we've kind of done this preliminary stuff of making sure the water treatment's right and, you know, making sure we've got all the air out of the system and we've checked kind of the ancillary stuff in the boiler room, now we really kind of have to think about the boiler. And, you know, what most people don't realize with boilers is boilers are relatively simple, but they're relatively complex. And, you know, people forget, you know, they kind of forget that the boiler's there. They got a thermostat hanging on the wall. They turn the thermostat up, boiler comes on, house gets warm. They're happy. Mm -hmm. You know, in a commercial building, occupants of the building may not even know there's a boiler in the building. Hopefully the maintenance guys know that there's a building, there's a boiler in the building. So one of the things that you need to be doing you know, if you're the guy that's responsible for that boiler, you're the maintenance guy in the building, on a daily basis, you kind of need to walk past the boiler and look at the boiler and look at all the gauges and thermometers and everything associated with it, pressure gauges, temperature, all that stuff. Are they reading correctly? I mean, if you're there every day and you know how that boiler is supposed to operate, you, you ought to know what water temperatures are supposed to run, what pressures are supposed to be, what things are supposed to sound like. So you want to look and listen to all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, most boilers today have, um, at least most of the bigger ones, have some type of um, viewing window so you can see the flame. Yeah. You know, some of them, it's a, little more, it's a little more challenging to look in there and you kind of have to look at just the right angle. Mm -hmm. But you want to look and see what the flame's doing when the burner's firing. Does it look nice and blue and pretty, or does it look really yellow and orange and gnarly looking? So it's been about three weeks since I installed my first April Air E100 dehumidification system. And I'll tell you right now, I was impressed. It shaved about 6% off the humidity in the home in the first hour. And it's been maintaining 50% since it got installed, and that's its set point. I reached out to the homeowner about a week or so after, and they said it was beautifully comfortable in the house the right temperature for what they were doing in the home. They're, they're manufacturing chocolate as a side gig or something like that. Uh, so it was really um, a cool opportunity. If you're in the market to provide indoor air quality devices, check out April Air because they got a huge lineup of very cool stuff. So the other thing I want to talk about here is the Rector Seal Pro Fit 
it's a it's a connection that's push on okay the industry is changing so rapidly and i'm going to be testing this out and playing around with them and if we don't go down the rabbit hole of all this new stuff that's coming out how do we stay on top of our game how do we stay sharp how do we we know when it's handed to us what it is and we're not confused we got to stay on top of this stuff and that's one of the reasons i love to get these things samples in my hand and try them out and learn from them and pass the knowledge on to you guys so that's rector seals profit basically a push on connection trade fox they are elevating their game and they're being known as the the brand that promotes technician invented tools because you know that the technician that's out on the job suffers the most and they they have the most problems so who is better off to design a solution to those problems the technician so Supco Trade Fox, that brand is listening and there's a, an email if you have a prototype, you want to reach out to them to partner with them. It's ideas at SupcoTradeFox.com. And you go at it, maybe you can make a, some kind of deal and, and move forward and, and, and partner up. We'll see. So check that out. Um, when it comes to warranties, guys, now that I'm on my own, I'm dealing with having to go okay this is your warranty you fill this out you get an extended warranty type thing and and i'm seeing sort of that that side of things from a business owner standpoint now if your customer wants warranties beyond what the oem provides them jb warranties can do that that's what their product is they they warranty things outside of oem warranty so if a compressor is going to die in 12 years and the 10-year warranty is up well guess what if you have that service for your customer they'll be warrantied and they pay tax for their time up to $300 an hour and 14 day turnaround time on claims. So check out JB warranties. Company cam is just one of those other things that can help even small companies, but even the, the, the larger companies, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts all the time, a lot of moving pieces, keep things organized, cloud-based, uh, basically let's say a file cloud-based file, that anybody in the company can access where all the pictures, all the videos, all the voice memos, all the, all the information pertaining to that one job will be in one place that anybody can access that's on that job from anywhere, right? So there's no emailing, testing, texting, going and looking for files within your phone. It's just cloud-based. It's always there under that address or job name or whatever it is. So check out company cam. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so that because because you know we all know what a nice nice gas flame looks like. It's not supposed to be nice and pretty and blue. Now if it's an oil boiler, it is going to look kind of orange. Um, but is it orange or is it? Does it look really nice and solid or does it look really lazy and smoky and you know all that? Um, you know I'm sure you've worked on oil boilers and oil burners. Just the flame looks weird. I've never it, worked on an oil burner before ever. Oh, you've led such a sheltered life. Yeah. I've, well, I don't be here. You need a special oil license to work on it. And I don't. Have ah, that, so. okay. Okay. Yeah. Here in the States, you don't need a special license to work on oil. You it, boilers are boilers. So, um, you know, when I look at, when I look at the boiler, you know, what safeties are on that boiler? So every boiler has some type of device on it to keep the boiler from running either a if there's no water flow or b there's no water in the boiler so it could be a low water cutoff 
and that could be a conductive probe or a float style. Um, and it could also be a flow switch. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's a flow switch, it's real easy. Turn the pump off, see if the boiler will come on. If you turn the pump off and the boiler still comes on, you got a problem. Yep. Okay. So is the flow switch stuck? You know, did it get a piece of dirt underneath of it um, that's got it stuck in the in the on position? Uh, melting down your boiler is never a good thing to have happen. Um, same thing with low water cutoff. <clears throat> if it's a float style, on a water boiler, it's a little tougher to check the float. And McDonald Miller makes a special type of uh, test and check cock that goes on a low water cutoff for a water boiler. So you can drain the water out of the float without it trying to refill right away mm -hmm. um, to make sure the float drops and it shuts the burner. It'll shut the burner down. Um, steam boilers, it, it's a little bit different how that it, it, it doesn't need the test and check cocks on it. Um, if it's an electronic style or a conductive probe, um, there's usually a test button on there. Yep. And what the test button is doing is it's basically opening the circuit to the probe and making sure that the electronics actually shut the system down. Um, so you want to make sure that that actually works. You know, when the boiler is firing, hit the button, make sure that the boiler actually shuts down. Again, you don't want to melt your boiler down. Um, you know, at least weekly, I recommend, and as well as ASME, recommends that you take your, check your flame safety device and that you actually make sure that the flame detection system works. So, you know, you get the, you get the burner firing and you shut the gas off to it. And does the burner shut down on loss of flame? Um, whether you do that weekly or not, you know, ASME tends to err on the side of caution. Um, I like to do it at least once a month. Now, you know, we all know that owners don't necessarily pay for service guys to be there every month as much yep. as we'd like them to be. Yeah. Um, if you're only there, you know, a couple times during the heating season, make sure you're checking the flame safeguard when you're there and it's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, if you've got maintenance staff in the building and you can teach them how to do that and they're competent, teach them how to do it. Um, cause at least somebody's looking at it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we kind of move into now, what are we going to look at for the rest of the boiler? Well, you know, you want to look at the venting system. Um, you know, if it's an older boiler, it's got B vent on it, or it's, you know, metal venting, look at the venting system. Is it starting to rot away? Is it rusted? Is it nasty looking? Um, if it's PVC, let's look at it, make sure everything's still connected correctly. Go out and look at the termination. Um, you know, you and I both live north, and so we get snow in the wintertime. You know, how many sure, times have you had, sure how many, yeah, how many times have you had a condensing furnace or condensing boiler where the food termination is outside and you get a wind and you got snow piled up over the, in front of the combustion air and, and flu at flu termination point. Yep. You know, now we all know that all the manufacturers say, hey, make sure it terminates above what the snow load's supposed to be, but. Yeah, but sometimes you get those drifts and they just, yeah. you know what I mean? I, and, I've seen I've seen entire rooftops uh, covered in snow drifts. Mm -hmm. 
like not even just covered, but like three, four feet above the rooftop covered. Yeah. Where you go up on the roof and you go, uh, I know there's a rooftop up here somewhere, but I can't find it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, check that termination point. Um, if it's, you know, an older boiler that has, um, if it's an atmospheric burner and, um, you know, natural draft, check the draft on it. Make sure that there's actually a draft there. Make sure it's working the way it's supposed to do. Um, you want to look at um, all your safeties on that boiler. So every, every boiler's got at least a high limit and an operator. Okay, depending on the size, we'll determine whether it's got gas pressure safeties and all that. So let's say it's a smaller boiler and all it's got is a high limit. Well, run the boiler up and make sure the high limit actually shuts the boiler off and locks it out. Mm -hmm. um, and the easiest way to do that is turn the set point up. So that the set point is higher than what the high limit cutout is, and you actually test the high limit. Mm -hmm. um, some of them I've, um, some of them electronic or dial types, I, I fire the boiler up and I turn the high limit down. And as you turn it down, you hear it click and then shut off and then turn it back up, click, and then it comes back on. Yeah. The key to doing that, and, and this is the thing to remember, is pay attention to when you're turning that down. And I know mm -hmm. that I know the ones you're talking about. You know they, yeah. they've been around forever with the cap tube and all that on them. Yeah. But look at the look at the the set point as you rotate down, and see what point it trips out at, and look at what the water temperature is at that yeah. point, and yeah. make sure they match. Because mm -hmm. yeah. there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing worse than turning it down and you hear it open up. What temperature did it trip at? Is it really tripping at what you think it's tripping at? Um, the other thing is. Um, relief valves and everybody kind of looks at the relief valve and guys hate tripping relief valves because inevitably if you trip the relief valve and it doesn't reseat now you got to replace the relief valve right that happened i'm, I'm going to stop you there and tell a quick story okay just sure. just remember remember where you were so there was <laughs> there was this boiler and uh really really old old ass boiler this thing was like 60 70 years man and it just kept running and running and running and i walked into the mechanical room and it was sitting in a, in a bit of a pit um like like a, a, a floor that was lower than the actual floor and in that sort of pit was a drain and it was a good thing because it like caught a lot of leaks and stuff and without flooding the basement and all that kind of stuff. So it was actually a good, good design the way they designed this room. But one day I walked in and, and this pit was wet. It wasn't flooding. It was just damp. And the, the, the downspout from the relief valve was drip, drip, drip. And I yanked on it because I thought maybe there was a piece of dirt in it or something. So I yanked on it, pulled it just to try to clear it out. Mm -hmm. put it back and then the the building operator got a call that night that the entire boiler system emptied out and the low water cutoff shut off so me opening that and closing it back down even though it didn't look bad at the time made it worse so i know exactly what you're saying when nobody wants to actually trip that thing yeah but the thing is the reason we want to trip it is one we want to make sure it seats again yeah okay we also want to make sure it's not stuck um if they sit for any length of time and don't lift, they can actually corrode bad enough that they stick on their seat and they won't lift. And so you want to test it every every year. You want to lift it. The other thing you want to do, and this is one of those tests that 
that guys don't do. So if you got a boiler that's got a 30-pound relief valve on it, you actually want to raise the system pressure up to about 10% less than whatever the relief valve setting is. So in a 30-pound in a relief valve, you raise it up to about 27 pounds, and that valve should not leak at 10% below its cutting below its setting. Mm -hmm. Okay, if it starts leaking at you know 26, 25, 26 pounds, you got a relief valve that's bad and it needs to be replaced. Now the downside is, you know, a lot of new boilers are coming with 100, 150 pound relief valves on them, so it's not as easy to do that um, unless you got a hydrostatic test pump. Um, you can't jack the boiler pressure up that high, but you really should <clears throat> because what you really want to do is you want to make sure that relief valve works where it's supposed to. You know, the last thing you want to do is lift at, you know, if it's a 150 pound relief valve, we sure don't want it lifting at 50 or 75 pounds. Um, but we also want to make sure that if the system pressure comes up that high, that the valve's not going to leak when it's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. So 150 pound relief valve, you know, I want to look at it at somewhere around 135 pounds. That valve shouldn't be leaking. Um, so you want to do that. Now, I will tell you, don't lift the relief valve when you've got that much pressure on the system. Uh, oh, it, yeah. You know, get the system pressure down to normal and then try lifting it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you don't have that situation that you had where you get the call in the middle of the night that the yeah. boiler's down. Yeah. Well, um, I've seen I've seen people online say don't even test them ever because once you do, you got to replace it. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, why wouldn't you want to test something that's built to basically stop the building from potentially blowing up? You know what I mean? That's the yeah. last line of defense, really. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like this. It's the same thing with the relief valve on your water heater. You know, um, you ever watched the TV show Mythbusters? Yes. Okay. So Haven't for a, a long time, but I used to watch it all the time. Yeah. So they're they've got a they've got an episode out there um, where they take a water heater, they take a standard forty gallon water heater, and they fill it, you know, 75-80% full of water, take all the safeties off of it, including the relief valve, and they energize the elements and run the pressure up and run the temperature and the pressure up until the, until the vessel actually fails. And when you see the amount of destruction from this thing exploding, you will never ever look at a water heater the same ever again. Um, they, they actually did one episode where they built it, they built a house around it and had this thing equivalent of sitting in a basement. And they did that. And it went from the basement all the way through the roof and a hundred and some odd feet in the air. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh yeah. Really? <laughs> you, yeah. Look it up on YouTube. It's, it's one of those great videos that you got to watch. Cause when you see it happen, you'll go, Holy shit. I can't believe the amount of force in that water heater. And it, it'll scare you. And, and I have, I've walked into buildings and I've seen relief valves with plugs in them. And I'm like, no, I'm walking out of here. I'm not staying in this mechanical room. Hey, mm -hmm. No, mm -mm. I know what can happen. Um, you know, and by the way, relief valves on water heaters are different than relief valves on boilers. <clears throat> um, since we kind of went down this 
yep. slightly divergent path. Okay. Um, the relief valve on a water heater is a TNP relief valve. It reacts to two different things. It reacts, it reacts to temperature and pressure. Okay, and the reason for that is if the water heater, let's say your water heater gas valve sticks and starts to overfire the water heater and the water heat water gets too hot. Well, you don't want to open the faucet with that hot water. You know, if things get, you know, 160, 180 degree water in it, because it'll take the hide right off of you. Mm -hmm. The thermostatic element in that relief valve on your water heater will cause the relief valve to open and dump because it wants to let cold water in to cool the water heater back down. Yeah. Okay. And then of course it's got the relief element for overpressure conditions. Um, so when you take a relief valve out of a water heater, you know, that little plastic looks like a plastic rod that sticks out of the back of a relief valve for a water heater. That's mm -hmm. the thermostatic element in okay. a water heater TNP relief valve. So you can't just buy a boiler relief valve and put it on there because it's not the right kind. So anyway, so now we've, you know, kind of gone down a slightly different rabbit hole. Um, okay. Can I, uh, I want, I want to go back to this explosion thing again, because I want to just briefly uh, get your thoughts on this. Now, apparently there's a video on YouTube. Now I've never watched it, but my friend had told me about this a bunch of years ago and it was a steam boiler. And this is just about a, how a boiler can cause destruction. I, I got to remember the story, right? And I, I'm probably, I probably will mess something up, but this, I remember recalling this is that he said it was a steam boiler. It had failed that the safeties failed, relief failed. It was just, Somebody came into the mechanical room and the thing was just like, it was like red hot, like just pumping hot. And it was, they've never seen anything like that before. And what the first thing they did was go to fill it with water. And as soon as the water hit the, the, the red hot boiler, it vaporized, it expanded and the water heater exploded. Yep. Um, apparently there's a, apparently there's a video on YouTube about it. Uh, I don't know if it shows the actual water heater exploding, but it might be a story of, of what happened. But, uh, what are your thoughts on that? So, um, yes, that can happen. Um, so basically what happens is you've got this red hot piece of metal. You put water on it. When water vaporizes and turns into steam, it expands 60 times over. So a gallon of water makes 60 gallons of steam. Well, because that steel is so hot, that water vaporizes instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And the pressure expands so fast inside the boiler. Because if you think about a boiler and you've got, you know, let's say it's a, a three-quarter inch feed line to that boiler, maybe even a one-inch feed line, depending on how big the boiler is, you're shoving so much water in there, it expands so fast, the water can't leave the boiler fast enough, either through the steam outlet nozzle or through the relief valves. And because the steel is so hot, the steel is weakened. Because, you know, when steel is that hot, it starts to get weak. And the steel literally folds in on itself and all the welds start to break loose. Well, the energy contained in that boiler tries to leave rapidly. And um, I've, got, I've got pictures um, of a boiler at a plant in Tennessee where that exact same system, and this was a big boiler, this is a 500 horsepower uh, steam boiler, uh, fire tube steam boiler. And the maintenance guys knew that there was a problem with the low water cutoff. Mm 
and there was a problem with the makeup water feeder that it wasn't feeding makeup water to it. And so they were kind of halfway running things manually. Well, the guy walked into the boiler room and one boiler was running, one boiler um, wasn't running. He realized that it looked like it was low on water. So he went, or actually, I think I take that back. He real, he saw the boiler running, but he walked back to the DA tank and noticed that the feed water pumps, one of them had tripped out on overload. He reset the overload on the feed water pump, shot water into the boiler. What he didn't realize was the boiler was cherry red on the inside. The boiler exploded. Um, so a 500, 500 horsepower, 500 boiler horsepower, Cleaverbrook steam boiler, the back door on the boiler weighs about 5,000 pounds. So it's a big honking hunk of steel. The steam main is ASME 300 pound class flanges, six inch steel, gas pipe, electric, everything else hooked up to this thing. The boiler left the boiler room. It launched through an overhead door went out onto the plant floor and landed at 100 feet out on the plant floor away from where it originally started in the boiler room. <laughs> wow. The back door blew the back wall of the boiler room out, landed 100 and some odd feet across the parking lot. There was a walkway, covered walkway, going out to the parking lot. It sheared the steel beams off like they were nothing as this door went sailing out the back. Um, you know, snapped the steam line off, ripped the stack apart, broke the gas line off, um, and launched this entire boiler. And this boiler weighs about 10,000 pounds dry weight. And it launched it out of the boiler room. So that gives you an idea of the explosive energy. And it probably only put 25 gallons of water in the boiler. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a very healthy respect for boilers of any type because if they – if the low water cutoff doesn't work and that boiler continues to fire and somebody shoots a bunch of water into it, that water's instantly going to steam. Mm -hmm. And the pressure inside that boiler and inside the system is going to, is going to increase exponentially. Mm -hmm. You aren't going to be able to get out of the way. Nope. <laughs> you know, and, and so this, you know, these, this is why, you know, it's really, really critical when we're looking at boiler systems, regardless of the boiler system, and we look at all the safeties and we make sure that high limits and low water cutoffs and um, flow switches, all of that stuff works exactly the way it's supposed to. And, you know, once we get through all of that, now we got to start talking about the combustion side and making sure that the burner is actually combusting correctly, that it's got the right air fuel ratio and that the, you know, the O2 and the CO2 are correct and that the flue gas temperature is where it's supposed to be. Um, because if we don't have proper combustion going on inside that boiler, you can set the, you can set the combustion chamber up. And as soon as you set the combustion chamber up, all your efficiency goes out the window. And then on top of that, you start to create an unsafe condition. Um, and could lead to a catastrophic boiler failure. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I th combustion is, is a topic that could take an hour on its own. And I think maybe we should have that discussion at some point is uh, combustion and even combustion analysis, because 
that that's something that gets overlooked quite a bit. I, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it does. And um, you know, maybe sometime we 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 do another one another one of these and we talk about, you know, condensing boilers and why condensing boilers really work and and why they're so much more efficient than non-condensing boilers. And you know, that gets into the whole discussion about latent energy and how much latent energy there is in flue gas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be, that would be definitely an interesting, an interesting one for sure. Um, as, as far as the topic we're on, like I got, I got to run in a few minutes. I just want to know, is there any last words here? Cause we did cover like 41 minutes or so we've been talking, we covered quite a lot there. Is there anything that we didn't hit on or you just want to end off with? Well, the one last, the one last thing that you got to check before you walk out of the boiler room is you got the boiler running, it's running along, it's making hot water, check the delta T across the boiler. And if you know, you know, you know what the sensible heat formula is, um, you know, it's BTUs equals 500 times GPM times delta T, um, at least for here in the States. Um, when I look at that, if I know that that boiler is supposed to have X number of, you know, it's what the, what the BTU rating is of the boiler, I can make sure that it's moving the right amount of water. If I know that boiler is supposed to have a 20 degree delta T or a 30 degree delta T, I can make sure that the firing rate's correct. I can make sure the water flow is correct just by checking the delta T. And if it's not, then we got to figure out why. Mm-hmm. You know, is the boiler is the boiler sca- boiler scaled up, or is something wrong with the pump, or is something else going on with the system? You know, did somebody increase the gas pressure? Uh, and we got too much gas going into the burner, you know, all these little things, but it's the simple things that we got to do to know that the boiler is actually working correctly. Yeah. And we often forget about the simple stuff and we, you know, we concentrate on the, the more complex issues. Yeah. No, and everything we've talked about here is really each individual kind of mini subject within the, the larger scope is actually quite simple to, to, to tackle and, and to check and to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you put it all together and, and you have uh, you have a maintenance plan or you have a, a, a checklist or whatever, and you, you go through it once per year. I remember like working on boilers and being scared that something was going to fail when I walked away. So I, I did the things you said, turn off the pump, make sure the boiler shuts down, right? Check the high mm-hmm. limit, um, check the, 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 the low water cutoff, push the button, pull it out once a year, check to make sure it's not all covered in, in, in uh, sediment or whatever, or blow down. I'd actually blow down quite a bit. The, um, the mechanical low water cutoffs and actually pull them out the floats to make sure they weren't covered in, in crap to make sure they could actually move up and down just all that kind of stuff was 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 something that i would i would do and it would it wouldn't be part of the maintenance it would be part of uh, sorry it is part of maintaining the boiler but it wouldn't be part of the the four hour go down there inspect the boilers it'd be like hey uh mr customer your boilers need like a day each to to pull them apart, check things, test them properly, and and they were on board with that. Yeah, and it was it was and, an extra that that I would make them sort of uh, buy into because it was it was really part of the, the longevity of the thing and the safety of it. Right. Well, and I think I think the thing we got to get 
across to service people is as service people, you walk into your customer's building. The customer is paying you for your knowledge because you're the expert. You're the one that they trust to keep them out of trouble. Mm -hmm. And we've always got to respect and honor that trust and always do the right thing for our customers and give them proper guidance. You know, you wouldn't go to a lawyer to have brain surgery and you wouldn't go to a brain surgeon and ask for legal advice. So, you know, we're the professionals when it comes to heating and air conditioning systems. And we've got to give our customers good advice and lead them down the pathway of what they're supposed to do to keep their building operating safely and reliably. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any difference what you're working on, whether it's the rooftop unit, whether it's the boiler, whether it's the chiller, whether it's the pumps, the VAV boxes, it doesn't make any difference. You've got to give them good, sound advice that's going to keep them up and operating correctly. And on that note, Tony, thank you very much. And this was an awesome conversation. I learned again, and hopefully everybody else did listening out there. Gary, as always, thank you very much. Um, these conversations are always fun, and, and I have a lot of fun doing them. Uh, so it's, it's a good thing. Um, I love sharing the knowledge that I have from 40-some years uh, by the way, the comment you made about the boiler being 60 to 70 years old and it being old, I'm right in that bracket, young man. <laughs> you made me feel really old. Well, as far as mechanical equipment goes, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. So I would say we tackled quite a lot of boiler basics there when it comes to maintenance and troubleshooting and just understanding boilers in general. So I hope you guys have a better grasp now. I hope you learned something there. If there's something you didn't know prior, if you're a boiler guru, maybe you picked up on something or you just kept your skills sharp. It's tough to say because there's such a, a wide variety of techs listening to the show, but the whole point is education every single time. A little bit of entertainment in there too, right? Thank you, Tony. Once again, you are the man of, of uh, I guess, exponential knowledge. So, Anyway, guys, that's it. I'm out. Thank you, the Master Group. Once again, happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.